You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number one. All right, guys, I am so excited about this podcast because if you know me, well, let's pretend like you don't know me. I am Mommy Labor Nurse on Instagram, and I do story Q&As every Sunday, which are great for you guys, and you guys love them. But sometimes I feel like I do not have enough time to answer some questions because you know, Instagram is Instagram and those stories are only 15 seconds long. In my time as mommy labor nurse, I've probably gotten, I don't know, 10,000 of these questions. So it has taken me a little bit of time to kind of go through these (laughs) and pick out ones that I feel like I really want to elaborate on. But without further ado, let's get started. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. This episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast was brought to you by yours truly. Are you looking for birth education? Did you know that I have two fabulous birth courses that are super affordable? Well, I do. Head over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast to take a short quiz to see which birth class is for you. When you purchase either birth course, you'll have full access to it forever. And that means it will never expire and you can access it throughout any stage of your pregnancy or for any subsequent pregnancies that you have. You'll also gain free access to my Facebook group, linked to the class where you can ask questions about your pregnancy, share your birth story after you give birth, read other people's birth stories, and get to know other members who are in the course. There is also a money back guarantee, so if you are at all unsatisfied with your purchase, please, please send me an email at hello at mommylaborers.com for a full refund. There's really no risk to signing up, and I promise you will learn a ton about what's to come when you give birth. As a listener of this podcast, you automatically get 20% off any purchase if you use the code PODCASTLISTENER. I've had tons of moms just like you enter these birth courses and have fabulous, wonderful, empowering births because they feel so much more educated about what's to happen. So if you are at all curious about birth education, again, I encourage you to go to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast and use the code podcast listener to save 20%. All right, guys, so let's get into this Q&A. Let's jump right in. So just for the sake of being organized, I guess, this Q&A is just going to be about pregnancy and labor and delivery. I'm not going to answer any uh, breastfeeding questions or postpartum questions. I'm just going to kind of talk about pregnancy and labor and delivery. I feel like that's a little bit more organized. Sometimes in my Q&As on Sunday, I, you know, I do kind of a handful of, of all topics, but this one, I'm just going to focus on pregnancy and labor and delivery. And I've decided to not share your usernames. I was going to say, oh, this question is from, you know, 
Sarah Michelle 96 and she asked blah, blah, blah. But I feel like just for the sake of privacy, that's probably not a good idea. So I'm not going to say any usernames in this. I'm just going to pretend like these are anonymous questions, which they kind of are when you put them in your story box. Okay, so the first question is, I've got three weeks before my first prenatal appointment. Yay! What should I expect at an eight-week appointment? First of all, congratulations to you. That's super exciting. I remember my very first prenatal appointment and how excited I was in anticipation of that. And it also feels like the longest three or four weeks of your life because you're just anticipating that first appointment and you just want to get to your provider to make sure that you are in fact pregnant because there's really, you know, no movement going on in your belly or, you know, the only thing that's really telling you that's that you're pregnant is those two lines and the fact that you haven't gotten a period. So I get it. In terms of your first appointment, expect, at least here in the United States, expect your first appointment to be anywhere from six to 10 weeks pregnant. Some providers don't see you until about 10 weeks pregnant, but most do um, at least an ultrasound check to verify the pregnancy at about six to eight weeks. And then once you get to this appointment, okay, whatever week you are, expect to first, they're going to basically do a pregnancy test just to verify, you know, that you are in fact pregnant. So expect to pee in a cup and your provider will also do some blood work for you just to check your labs. So they're going to check like a CBC, a complete blood count, um, probably a type in screen to check what blood type you are, um, along with probably some SDD testing as well. You'll get your vital signs checked, so your blood pressure, your temperature, your pulse, your respirations, and before you see your actual provider, your OBGYN or your midwife, your nurse, a nurse will probably check you in and ask you a bunch of questions about when your last period was and what kind of symptoms you've been having. You know, a lot of people report symptoms like cramping and spotting or nausea, so they're going to ask you all these kind of questions just to get a database together. And another important thing that they're going to do is check your weight. So, you know, at about six to eight weeks pregnant, you probably haven't gained much weight yet, but they're going to check your weight and then they're probably going to ask you, hey, is this normally about how much you weigh or have you even gained any weight yet or lost weight? And then once you get all checked in by your nurse, your nurse will bring you to another an exam room and you'll finally get to see your provider. So one of your OBGYNs or your midwives will come and see you and probably ask you some of the same questions. And then they will have you probably do an ultrasound. So since you're only six to eight weeks, they will probably do an, a vaginal ultrasound. And this vaginal ultrasound, I know it sounds kind of scary, but it's really not. It's just a little, you know, it's like a vaginal wand that they put a lubed, it's actually a lubed condom over. And they put that inside your vagina and right up next to your cervix to visualize baby. And they kind of have to do this when you are early pregnant, because if they do one on your belly, they probably aren't going to be able to visualize baby. So that vaginal ultrasound gets it a lot closer to where baby is actually at. And that's why they prefer to do one when you're early. And so your provider is going to look at this ultrasound. And really, the only thing that they're looking for is a heartbeat. And they're probably going to take some measurements um, just to see, you know, exactly how pregnant you are. And if your period, you know, your last missed period is dating about the same as your baby is measuring, then they're not going to change your due date at all. But if for some reason your ultrasound shows that you're a lot more pregnant, 
you know, then your period was tracking, then they might change your due date or vice versa. So once everything is good with baby and we make sure that baby has a good strong heartbeat and baby is measuring on track, your provider will probably ask you some questions about your health history and your medical history and your immunizations and your surgeries. You know, your pregnancy history is really, really important. So if this is not your first pregnancy, they're going to ask you, you know, what other pregnancies that you've had. Your provider will probably also talk about your mental health history. So that's really important if you have any history of depression or anxiety or any other mental health disorders, because pregnancy has a funny way of making those reappear, even if you, you know, don't presently have that going on. And then once we are all on the same page and you talk about your history and you see your baby and everything checks out, then you're pretty much done. And that kind of wraps up your first prenatal appointment. And then you will not go back until you might go back at, depending on when you first went, you'll probably go back in about a month. All right. So question number two is, do you recommend an enema before labor? And This short answer to that is no, but I will go into more detail. So for those of you who do not understand what an enema is, an enema is basically, it's like a little tube. You you can buy them over the counter. It's like a little tube and you put a certain solution. Okay. The most common types of enemas are, it's called a fleet enema. Um, But an enema is basically just a technique used to stimulate your bowels and to make you poop. Okay. So it it really honestly generally makes you have like a lot of diarrhea. And you may be wondering like, why the heck would I want to do that before I start labor? But they actually used to do these pretty routinely back in the day. My mom tells me all the time, like they would give her, they gave her an enema before she had me and my sister, even though she had a C-section with me. But they used to give these out all the time before labor because it's thought that you should evacuate your bowels before you push a baby out. Okay, and that sort of makes sense because your bowels and your vagina are right next to each other. So if you empty your bowels, your baby might come out a little bit easier because there's a little bit more room. And I guess that makes sense, right? But now we are not recommending those anymore because you actually can kind of get dehydrated. So that's the number one reason. And we found that it's not really helpful. So either your body's going to do that for you, and that's very common that what a lot of women have diarrhea before they go into labor, or you just kind of poop as you're pushing and it doesn't really make a difference if there's poop in there or not because it's going to come out. So we found that, you know, enemas before labor, it's not, they're not really worth it anymore. So the answer to that question is no. All right, so question number three is to groom or not to groom. And I'm assuming this person is asking about pubic hair because that's usually what people are asking when they're talking about hair when it comes to birth. So the answer to this question is no, mainly no, but obviously yes. If you really want to trim yourself, shave yourself, wax yourself before delivery, that's fine. I'm not saying definitely don't. But my answer basically is don't worry about it. Okay. If you feel like, oh my gosh, some my nurse is going to judge me or my doctor is going to judge me or my husband's going to judge me or somebody's going to judge me if I don't shave my pubic hair or wax my pubic hair. Don't think that way because that is not true. 
there, you know, your pubic hair is the last thing that we're thinking about when we're having a baby, okay? So if you really, really desire no hair down there and it's really, really important to you, you can. There's no danger to, you know, shaving or waxing before birth, but it's really not something that you should be super, super concerned about because it does not get in the way of anything. Another thing that comes to mind when I talk about pubic hair too is that it might somehow get in the way of tearing. And the short answer to that is where you tear when you have a baby, there's really no hair. So in terms of stitching you up, there's not any more difficulty (laughs) because you're not really tearing where there's hair, if that makes sense. Another point that people often bring up about pubic hair is the fact that afterwards it's a it's messier because you're bleeding and I can understand that just you know from being on your period we I think we get that as women that sometimes if you have a lot of hair down there it can be a little bit harder to clean yourself because you know the hair kind of clots and gets in your pubic hair and for that you know if you really prefer clean shaven down there or clean wax down there because of that purpose, then that's fine. Another point that I often bring up about pubic hair too is waxing. And I really try to make it clear to people that if you have been getting waxed during your pregnancy and, you know, no big deal, you get waxed once a month, that's fine if you want to get waxed again before delivery. But if you have never waxed your pubic hair and you save it until you're nine months pregnant to get your very first wax, you are going to be in a lot of pain because waxing when you're pregnant, regardless of if you're nine months pregnant, can be a lot more painful than when you're not pregnant because there's increased blood flow down there. And I learned this from my wax person. I don't get anything waxed anymore, but I used to. And she would always tell me how important this is to not come in when you are nine months pregnant for your very first wax because it's so, 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 so much more painful. So that is a tip too. Do not get your very first wax when you're nine months pregnant. All right, question number four is, is it possible to pass out during labor? And the answer is actually yes, which might be surprising to some people, but I actually have experienced this with one patient that I've had She passed out during her delivery and it was super scary for both of us. But let me talk to you about the reasoning kind of why this happens. It doesn't happen very often, first of all, which is great, but it often happens during the pushing phase of labor if you have a very sensitive vagus nerve. So this vagus nerve is responsible for a lot of things in your body. But one way to manipulate it is doing something called the Valsalva Maneuver, okay? And this is basically when you bear down, like you have to poop, okay? That's the Valsalva Maneuver in a nutshell. And the reason why they do this in not in non-pregnant patients is to help lower your heart rate, okay? So if somebody's heart rate is beating really, 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 really fast, they will have you do this, the Valsalva Maneuver, to try and decrease your heart rate. So I'm telling you this because the Valsalva maneuver is very similar to what you're kind of doing while you push your baby out, right? You're bearing down kind of like you are pooping. And sometimes if you stimulate this vagus nerve and your vagus nerve is very sensitive, your heart rate can decrease so much that you actually pass out. And that's what happened to this 
lady that I had, she passed out and she had actually passed out before, not during labor, but she, this had happened to her frequently. So it wasn't uncommon for her, but occasionally this is what can happen during birth and during pushing is you are bearing down so much that you really, really stimulate that vagus nerve and decrease your heart rate so much that you pass out. Another way that people might pass out during labor is holding your breath. So when you're in an extreme amount of pain, sometimes people hold their breath too much. And, you know, we all know that if you hold your breath for too long, your brain does not get oxygen and you can pass out. So moral of the story, though, is this is very, very rare. Most people do not pass out during labor, but it can absolutely happen. All right. So on to question number five. Question number five is, when do most people show during their pregnancy? And this is very dependent on a lot of things. So if it's your first pregnancy, it is not uncommon for you to not show until you are five or six months pregnant. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's true. And that's what happened to me. I didn't show until very, very late. If it is your second or third or fourth pregnancy, you might show a little bit before this. And some people honestly even show in their first trimester. But it really depends first on your anatomy. So if you're a shorter person and your uterus is situated a little bit more anterior, you might show a little bit sooner. If you're really tall and your uterus is kind of sitting back, then you might not show for, you know, till you're five or six months. Another factor is multiples. So if you have twins or triplets or quadruplets, you are certainly going to be showing a lot sooner than somebody who only has one baby in there because, well, let's be honest, there's more baby (laughs) in there to show. All right. So question number six is, can I get my membrane stripped if I'm one centimeter? So yes, you definitely can. And you actually have to be at least one centimeter to get your membrane stripped. And let's talk about membrane stripping for a second and what it is and what happens when somebody does it. So getting your membrane stripped is just a way for your provider to try and stimulate contractions and try to induce labor, obviously without Pitocin or without any medical means. Your provider is just basically stripping your membranes to get your labor started. And this is something your provider will do in your office anywhere from 38 weeks to 42 weeks. Some will do it as early as 38 weeks, um, depending on your medical history. If let's say you have high blood pressure and you're trying to avoid an induction, your provider might say, hey, let's try and strip your membranes a little bit and see if we can get labor going. But most providers do not do that that early. Most providers wait till at least 39 weeks to strip. All right, so stripping your membranes and what that process is. Your membranes are your bag of water, so the amniotic fluid around baby, and your membranes are sitting right on the outside of your cervix interiorly. So your cervix is like a little stopcock, kind of like a cork, or honestly, the best visual thing I can think of is one of those pencil grips. (laughs) They're kind of long and they're kind of thin and it has a hole in the middle. It's kind of like that. And so your membranes are sitting on the outside of this cervix, okay? And what your provider is attempting to do, if you're at least one centimeter dilated, 
They're attempting to put a gloved finger inside your cervix and touch your membranes, okay? And then when they strip, they're basically just taking their finger and moving in a circle a few times as long as you can tolerate it. And they're trying to strip that membrane away from your cervix. And by them doing that, that actually gets prostaglandins going around there and that can stimulate uterine activity and get your cervix to dilate a little bit more. Like I said, you do have to be at least one centimeter for this to be done because your provider can't put their finger in your cervix if it's closed. I don't have a accurate statistic, but just from hearing providers talk that I work with, it usually works about 50% of the time, okay? So 50% of the time, your provider's gonna strip your membranes and you're either gonna go into labor or your water's gonna break, you know, within, I think within about 24 hours. Some people get their membranes stripped multiple times. So you might go in for your 39-week appointment, get your membrane stripped, have some contractions, but not really have labor start. And then at your 40-week appointment, they might try again. And, you know, it may or may not work. I had my membrane stripped a few times and it didn't really do anything except cause me to lose my mucus plug the first time. But it was probably a few days from that last membrane strip that I had before I went into labor. So I was an unsuccessful membrane strip. But for a lot of people, it does work to put them into labor. All right, so question number six is, can I have a VBAC if I had a placental abruption and an emergency C-section with my first baby? And the answer to that is maybe, okay? It kind of depends on this pregnancy and how this baby is sitting and how many weeks you were when you had your first baby and what kind of incision they did on your uterus. So if they did a normal horizontal lower incision on your uterus, your baby is head down, then there is a good chance that you certainly can have a VBAC. But if this pregnancy is causing you a lot of complications, you're very high risk or something else is going on, you might not be able to VBAC. VBACing really depends on your pregnancy, how high risk it is, and your provider, if they are VBAC friendly, and they have a high VBAC success rate, and they like VBACs, and you're at a hospital that is very VBAC friendly, and they have the capability to do VBACs. So the answer to your question is really to talk to your provider and see if this is a possibility, because it really just depends on your history and kind of what's going on with your, with your current pregnancy. But just purely if you had an emergency C-section with a placental abruption, and that's just where the placenta uh, detaches from the uterus before baby is born, and it can be really dangerous, just for that reason alone, that is not a sole contraindication to having a VBAC. So question number seven is, I am 28 weeks pregnant and my breasts are already leaking. Is this normal? So this is absolutely normal for your breasts to start making colostrum, start making milk during your pregnancy before your baby is born. It can totally freak some people out if you're not expecting it, but it is very, very normal and very, very frequent. I personally did not have any leakage during my pregnancy. I only started leaking and producing breast milk after my baby was born, 
but there are plenty, plenty, plenty of women who experience this and it is absolutely normal, you know, no issues, don't have to worry about a thing. One thing that a lot of people don't realize about breast milk too during pregnancy is you can collect it if you if you so desire to for baby after baby is born. So if you would like to collect it, most people just do it with syringes and then put the syringes in the freezer. You definitely don't want to put them just in the fridge because you don't know when your baby's going to be born. It might be weeks <laughs> from the time that you're starting to collect. So definitely always freeze that milk. If you do plan on collecting it, some people don't, and that's fine too. All right, so question number eight is, can you go into labor on your own if your baby is transverse? And the answer is yes, okay, but it's not so great, okay? So transverse is a way that baby can be positioned in your uterus. It's basically where baby's side or baby's shoulder is the presenting part to your cervix, so not the baby's head or not the baby's bottom or the baby's feet. And unfortunately, if this is you and you are nearing term and your baby is transverse, you will have to have a C-section because babies do not come out that way. Babies babies come out vaginally head first and vaginally booty first, but babies do not come out safely sideways first or shoulder first. So the answer to this question is yes, you, your body can go into labor. Your body can start labor if your baby is this way, but it, it can be very dangerous for babies. So if this is you and your baby is transverse and you start having contractions, it's a very, very, very good thing to call your doctor and let them know and go up to labor and delivery. So question number nine is, is 27 weeks too early for Braxton Hicks contractions? And the answer is no. That is not too early. That is perfect timing of when you might start to feel these Braxton Hicks contractions. So false labor and Braxton Hicks contractions are basically where your uterus is contracting, but it's not too painful for you. Okay, so Braxton Hicks can be a little uncomfortable. They sometimes can even be a little painful, but they are false contractions because they don't lead to labor. Your uterus is basically practicing for the big day when you have Braxton Hicks contractions, and they can start as early as even four or five months pregnant. I remember I I had a very Braxton Hicks-y uterus. <laughs> I had a very irritable uterus while I was pregnant. So my Braxton Hicks, I remember feeling them when I was about five months pregnant, And it was the weirdest thing because I had felt it before, but I had never really put two and two together that, oh, this is what's going on. So if you're experiencing a Braxton Hicks contraction, you're just feeling, some people describe it as baby balling, quote unquote, baby balling up in your belly or your uterus, your belly just kind of getting hard for a few seconds. They are completely normal. And like I said, some people feel them very early. Some people don't even realize or feel them at all. That is also fine. But the answer to your question, though, is at 27 weeks, perfectly fine, perfectly normal to be feeling Braxton Hicks contractions. All right, so question number 10, and this is going to be the last question that I do. How do I know if I have preeclampsia or if my hand and feet swelling is normal? I'm 36 weeks. 
So when we talk about preeclampsia, preeclampsia is a condition of pregnancy where your blood pressure elevates, you have protein in your urine, and it's often precluded by gestational hypertension. So while high blood pressure during your pregnancy doesn't necessarily indicate preeclampsia, it may be a sign of another problem. And it actually affects at least five to eight of pregnancy. So that's actually pretty common. So with swelling, swelling is a sign of preeclampsia. Most often when you have swelling and you have preeclampsia, your swelling usually isn't going away at the end of the day. So that's a big difference that we tell patients that if you are noticing that your swelling is getting more and more, you know, as you're on your feet, your swelling is increasing throughout the day. And then you go to bed at night and you wake up and your swelling is still there and it's not gone away then, you know, that's not normal. We need to tell your doctor about that. If you're feeling that your swelling is going away, it's probably normal pregnancy swelling. Another thing to add about preeclampsia too is it usually involves other symptoms besides swelling. So like I said, your your blood pressure is gonna start creeping up and at your prenatal appointments, they're gonna be checking your urine and your urine is going to be having protein in it. You might have blurry vision along with this. And sometimes people even have like right-sided pain on their, in their liver. Some people even have shortness of breath. And one of the most common symptoms actually is a headache. So if you're having lots of lots of headaches during your pregnancy and they're really not going away with, medi- with Tylenol medication, then that might be a big sign of preeclampsia. But in terms of swelling, how to tell the difference between normal pregnancy swelling And if you have preeclampsia is if it goes away. Preeclampsia is very, very serious for you and for baby. So if you are having any of those symptoms that I talked about, definitely talk to your provider. All right, guys. So that is it for the first episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. You guys know how much I love educating you in this space. And I am so happy that I have this outlet now to elaborate on some of these questions. Education is power when it comes to giving birth. And I wish you all a safe, happy, and healthy rest of your pregnancy. All right, so that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, please head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I want to hear from you on how much you enjoyed this episode of the podcast or how much you hated it. All right, I will see you same time, same place next week.